Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17, and on most pew Bibles that can be found on page 1183. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. Well, thanks for reading that passage, a long... Uh passage of Romans chapter 8, 1 through to 17, and we are hoping to work our way uh, through that passage tonight. So uh, there is also an outline available just in case uh, you need one. So, let's uh, come to our God in prayer and ask God's help uh, once again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your word, and we pray that the Spirit of God will help us understand this word as well as apply it to our hearts and lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, tonight uh, we come to one of the most heartwarming chapters in the book of Romans. It is a chapter where the work of the Holy Spirit is brought into a deep and significant focus. Tonight we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, 1 through to 17, under the title, Life Through the Spirit. There are some who call Romans 8 the Holy Spirit's chapter. 
because it speaks of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity in our lives. It speaks of the help that we have through the Holy Spirit in the Christian life, that we live this Christian life not by our own power, but by his power. And so Romans chapter 8 begins with a powerful statement. It says, now there is therefore no condemnation. And then it ends with another powerful statement, the chapter. And that is that there is now no separation from God when we are his. And so tonight we're going to look at this, uh, this section as outlined there for us. And so let's look at uh, verses 1 through to 4 where we have the assurance for us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul, friends, had just spoken about the ongoing struggle against sin in the lives of Christians, chapter 6 and 7. And now we know only too well that we sin against God, others, through our words, actions, thoughts, and we struggle with sin. And this ongoing battle with sin can at times be so discouraging and despondent for believers. If you are struggling with sin and you're battling with some particular sin in your life and you feel so down and out because this sin is getting the better of us, it can be so discouraging. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, in his book, uh, Spiritual Depression, it's an excellent read, uh, speaks of that one particular sin that besets us, that one particular sin where Satan uses to continuously haunt us down and say, well, look back at that sin and what a wretched person you are. Have you ever been in that position where perhaps some sin of the past has come upon your life in such a way that it brings to mind and makes you feel such a miserable person? And Satan is very clever at doing that. He's very clever in his strategy to bring the believer in Jesus Christ down. And so what we have here in this passage tonight, friends, of course now we need to confess and repent of our sins and so forth. We want to please our, our God when we, when we sin against him. We need to turn to him. But what we have here in this passage is a very resounding heartwarming statement in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. It is a stand-alone statement of immense assurance for the Christian. It is a statement that says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a profound and powerful and liberating gospel statement this is. The text in the original gives a greater force than what we have in our translation. In the, if it's translated as it's stated in the original, it could read as this. Not even one, therefore, now can condemn you, those who are in Christ Jesus. The words no condemnation comes from two words, which means to down judge. In the Greek translation, literally the, the word condemnation means to judge down. And so when we see uh, these words that a person is judged down, 
But the Bible is telling us tonight what the Apostle Paul is bringing out here is a very clear statement. And that is that there is no judging down upon you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Because now there is no condemnation. And this no condemnation is only, as you see in the passage, for those who are in Christ. Think about that phrase, in Christ. What a blessing that is. Think about it for a moment. It is one of Paul's favorite phrases. In fact, uh, one commentator has counted, and I haven't, he says that it's, he uses this phrase, in Christ, about 164 times. You can go home and do some work on that. Of that. All right? In Christ. It is one of Paul's favorite statements. And the essence of the Christian life is to be in Christ. And so what we have here, friends, tonight is that there is no single sin in the life of one who has trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior that can condemn you as a child of God because you are in Christ. Not one sin. Think about it. When you feel as if your sin is weighing you down, when you feel so miserable as if God has not dealt with your sin, when you are tempted to know that Satan comes and says, you are such a wretched person as you are. Look at God really doesn't care for you. God hasn't done that work in your life. Remember that there is now no condemnation for you because you are in Christ. All your sin has been dealt with. What a tremendous blessing. And I think that's what we've seen in our, in our study of Romans so far. And Romans chapter 7 in particular is a very um, telling uh, chapter as well. And so because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit. Now let, let me say another thing here. Think about the apostle Peter, for example, the disciple Peter. What did Peter do? He denied Jesus how many times? That he knew Jesus three times. Right? Three times. And what happened? Was he condemned? No. Was restored by Christ and became a great apostle for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have lots of examples of that. For example, the apostle Paul himself. He went out going against Christians. Finding these people. Bringing them down. He was there when, when Stephen was being stoned. And Paul is saying, Christ has forgiven me. There is now no condemnation. And so we read in verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That is, friends, there is no condemnation because it is through Christ Jesus that we have this assurance through the Spirit who gives life instead of death. Now the question might be asked, what are we freed from? From the law of sin and death. That is, we are not locked into the law to make us right with God or to be made holy. That is, we are not to be under the law anymore. We don't have a relationship with God by keeping the law. Instead, God has given us the law of the spirit of life to set us free. It is his spirit who is at work in our lives through our union with Christ that makes us free from keeping the law of works to attain salvation. It is as if I can keep 
all the commandments in my life to be made right and to be made holy with God. It simply does not work. The law of spirit of life, I believe in the context here, could also be a reference to the gospel because it is the gospel that has set us free. And then as we move on, having been set free from the law of sin and death, he goes on to show how this is brought about. Have a look at verse 3. For God has done, it's a tremendous verse here again, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Man, you got all that? This is Paul, right? This is Paul writing. No wonder uh, Peter said, I can't understand some of your things, Paul. It's too hard, right? Here it is. What has God done for us? Have a look in this passage. God achieved something that the law could never achieve. The law of God condemns us and it excludes us from the presence of God. We know that none of us have kept the law perfectly. We have not kept the commandments perfectly. The law reveals my sin. It tells us how much we fall short of God's standards all the time. The problem here is not the law itself, but our weakness. Our sinful nature cannot keep all the commandments, the law of God perfectly. We can never be be saved by trying to keep it. So what the sin-weakened law could not do, God did something. What is impossible for the law to do, God did. And Paul says what God has done. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by three things we see here. He sent his son. That's what we see here. By sending his own son. He sent his son. Think about it. God sent his son into this world. A blessing that is. And we see that he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The word became flesh. And very soon we'll be celebrating, what is it, a few months time? Eh? Christmas. Any Christmas trees out in the shops? I don't know. <laughs> All right? And the word became flesh. That's the message. Paul does not say, let me be very clear here, Paul does not say that God sent his son in the flesh of sin. Jesus had no sin, but in likeness of sinful flesh. That is that Jesus, the son of God, let me explain it this way, experienced all the challenges of humanity, all the challenges of being a human being, but he had no sin. Jesus identified with our humanness and yet was without sin and he did not have a fallen human nature. And then the third thing we see here is that he came for our sin. He condemned sin in his son. Uh, That's why now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for he took our condemnation on the cross. The prophet Isaiah puts it this way, does he not? Isaiah chapter 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was chastised for us. He took upon himself our punishment that we deserved. 
So God himself has done what his holy law could not do, and that is he sent his son who paid the penalty. What a blessing, what a, what a joy it is. We heard our testimonies, the testimonies tonight, and it was about what Christ had done for both you, uh, both Jess and for Irwin. Um, we heard the testimony of what Christ has done through the Spirit in, in, in their lives this evening. And what a blessing that is, that Jesus took upon himself our condemnation so that we stand not guilty. Imagine that. Uh, when President Obama uh, was to, uh, when he finished his, his term as a president, uh, just before he finished, he pardoned heaps of prisoners. That's what presidents do, I suppose. When Donald Trump finishes, he might do the same thing. And he pardoned so many prisoners. And they were interviewing some of these prisoners who had just been pardoned by the president. And they were coming out of these prisons feeling so overwhelmed with joy. The condemnation that was upon them was now taken away. They had been given a presidential pardon. And imagine if you were a prisoner there and been released and declared no condemnation. Out. What a thing that God has done for us. And then in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So please keep your Bibles open in this passage. God has done what he did because his purpose is to work, and we need to get this, to work the requirement of the law within us so that we ourselves actually become those who are godly and holy. Now let me explain this. John Stott puts it very well here. All right? John Stott, he says this, verse 4 is of importance of understanding of Christian holiness. Holiness, he says, is the ultimate purpose of the incarnation and the atonement. The end God had in view when sending his son was not our justification only through freedom from the condemnation of the law, but also our holiness through the obedience to the commandments of the law. Now, how does this work? I looked at Jeremiah chapter 31. I looked at Ezekiel chapter 36. And we're not going to read those passages tonight. In both these passages, it's very interesting. Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36 tells us that when God put his spirit in our hearts, he writes his law upon our hearts. All right? That is... For apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, the law brings me into bondage. But through the Spirit, the law of God is written in my heart now. And so we are able to fulfill the law and obey it, not by looking to the law to make us holy or right with God, by looking to the Holy Spirit of God within us to obey what God would require of us. In other words, friends, the law, the word, the, 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 the commandments and all, they don't become a burden to us. Because if we are trying hard to keep all the law of God, we will fail, correct? Have we kept everything perfectly of God's requirements? Have you? If you say yes, well, you've already broken it. <laughs> all right? We haven't. We will always be striving and striving and striving. And how good is good enough? We'll be never good enough for God. You see the point? 
And the point here is that it becomes then a burden. But then when we see the Spirit of God that has taken a cold heart, changed and transformed that heart by His grace, and now He's written the law on our hearts through His Spirit. And so now we keep this because not, it's not a burden, but it becomes a delight. Do you see the difference? To honor and to obey God now becomes something of joy. It becomes a delight for me. Like the psalmist says, your word is a delight to me. I rejoice in it. It's not a burden anymore, but it is really something that I want to do for you, God, in response to what you have done for me. Notice the difference. I remember a story where a little boy, a boy was asked by his parents to clear up his room. Uh, he had done the room as, as he could have, and then he sat grumpily on the chair. And the mother came in and said, have you cleaned the room? Yes, I've cleaned the room. Oh, so you're sitting down. And the young boy said, yes, I'm sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. I'm so furious. Sitting on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You see, friends, when we keep the law, by God's grace, it becomes then a delight. I want to keep it because I want to honor God. I'm under new management because his spirit is at work in my life. It's not a burden anymore. So, and let's see the mindset that we have here, 5 to 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now notice, friends, the contrast here, isn't it? There are two mindsets, okay? One is there is life lived according to the mind of the flesh, and there is life lived according to the mind of the Spirit. One is death, leads to death. The other is life and peace. One leads to death. You, you reap what you sow. The mind governed by the flesh, verse 6, is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So what is the mind of the flesh? What is this? When you talk about flesh, we're talking about the sinful human nature. What, what, what is it? You see, I was looking at Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can look at that passage. Colossians chapter 3 talks about minds right it says this colossians chapter 3 verse 2 set your minds on things above and not on earthly things and what is the mind of the flesh i think the mind of the flesh the mind of the sinful nature is kind of explained it could be helpful here in colossians 3 5 to 9 it says things like this put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature what are they sexual immorality we touched a little bit on that this morning with Galatians. Impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in, in the life you once lived. But now, but now, you must also get rid of, get rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, Filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, 
since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Do you see that? Rage. It's shocking, isn't it, what's going on on our streets here in Melbourne? People are getting out of their cars and attacking each other. Road rage happened yesterday in Camberwell. Did you, did you see that? Did you hear that on the news? Camberwell. You think, no, it won't happen in Camberwell. It did. Two guys got out of their cars, road rage, hitting each other. Families all crying and it's all happening. Rage. All of these things are things of the flesh. right? Now, what about the mind controlled by the spirit? How are we to understand this? The spirit-controlled person wants to live according to what the spirit desires, a mind governed by the spirit which is life and peace. Now, what does such a life look like? What does it mean to have a mind of perhaps the spirit? Again, Colossians chapter 3 is very helpful here. 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves... Put on these clothes with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, Paul is talking to Christians at Colossae. A spirit-filled Christian chooses then to say no to the urges of the sinful nature and live by the power of the spirit and, uh, and, and by the spirit's power itself seeks to clothe ourselves with these qualities. Now, my friends, is this easy? Is it easy <laughs> to clothe yourselves with compassion? If somebody gives you a hard time, is it easy to just sit back and, oh, it's all right. Or what's our instinct? What's our instinct? If someone wants to hurt you, what's your instinct? Hmm? Someone wants to say something harsh against you. What's, what's the instinct? The natural instinct is to, come on, help you out. Right? Go back. Don't go punch anybody, Right? You want to get back, right? You want to retaliate. And you want to take things into your hands. And that's the natural thing. That's our default position. Because we go back into our sinful nature. It's not it's so easy for that to happen. But no, no. God's way, the Christian way, the spirit-controlled life will say, no, I don't want to do that. I want to show grace. I want to show forgiveness. I want to show love. I want to show understanding. I want to show what it means to have a spirit-controlled life. You see how it affects our relationships. eh? What a difference it can make in the home. What a difference it can make uh, in as relationship between husbands and wives. What a difference it can make in, in, in a church family. And so that's what we see here, don't we? A spirit-filled Christian. Is that easy? No. We live in, a, in, in this world and our human nature can easily gravitate to its default position. Sinful desires, even though we have been saved by Christ. We do not reach sinless perfection here on earth. And so I need to fight sin. The thing that displeases God. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit within me. And as I fight this sin, and I keep falling back into this sin, and it keeps depressing me, bringing me down, I stand knowing that I am not condemned in Christ, but I am controlled by the Spirit. So friends, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace in my life, and that's what a blessing that is. So we see here in 7 and 8, as we move on, the mind governed by the, the flesh is three things here, 7 and 8. The mind governed by the flesh, three things. is hostile to God, he does not submit to God's law, and those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. Three things. Hostile to God, does not submit to God, and cannot please God. So the transformation that we see here now in this passage as well, verses 9 through to 13. You, however, uh, we, we see here, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of God, they do not belong to Christ. Paul says this here, there has been a change that has taken place in your life. You are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit. That's the change. As I be heard tonight, the testimonies. As I read those testimonies and, um, and, and, and we heard tonight, we see that God has, is in the business of changing lives, right? God is in the business of changing lives. And so Paul is saying here, there has been a transformation that has taken place. The Spirit of God has done a work of grace in your life. And since you have trusted Jesus Christ, therefore you are no longer under the control of the flesh, but by the Spirit. Wow! What a change there is, friends, that God has done in your life. Do you see the evidence of the work of the Spirit in your life tonight? Do you? Not maybe tonight, but in your life in general? Do you see how God, His Spirit, is working in your life and mine? Do you see how the work of the Spirit is bringing about a transformation in our lives? How it's changing my mindset? How it's changing my heart? How it's changing my actions? How it's changing the way I think? The way I act? The way I use my gifts? My talents? My money? My everything? For the glory of God. Do you see that work in your life tonight? I want to encourage you tonight to know that if you are a Christian... Then you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the God who has created the heavens and the earth, the almighty, the all-powerful Spirit who has indwelt you and put his seal upon your life and given you the power of his Spirit to live this Christian life that sometimes can be so downtrodden and hard and heavy going. The Spirit works. And that's the blessing we see here, isn't it? And if anyone see a life that seeks now to love and serve him and, and, and others, that's the life that we see here. We're able by the Spirit's power then to show love, to show grace, to show kindness, to show patience to those around us. This, my friends, the Spirit-controlled life is a radical life. Yeah? Because it's a radical change in your life. This is good. And then 9b, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. This is clear. If you do not have the spirit, then we, are not, we do not belong to him. Anyone here tonight who is not a Christian, 
Do you have the Spirit of God or don't you? If you don't, then our prayer is tonight that you will come to know this God and that this Spirit will indwell your life. And it will transform your life that you will never be the same again, guaranteed. <laughs> you will never be the same again. So we see in this passage as we move on, verses 10, and have a look in your, in your Bibles. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Right? And verse 11, and, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Now, let's unpack that for a minute. Very quickly, right? He's talking about a mortal body. He's talking about righteousness. That is, that when we believe in Christ, we stand right before God, not because of my own doings, but because of what Christ has done. All right? Just. The second thing we see here is, he talks about a mortal body. What's this mortal body? All of us have bodies, right? Some of us work hard in the gyms, pumping up, right? Others do all kinds of things, right? Keeping our bodies in good shape and form, all right? Uh, these bodies are what God has given us, yes? And we have to look after these bodies. But sadly, friends, as time goes along and as we age, uh, if you're very young here tonight, you know, and some of us are old, you'll get there. We have just got there a bit earlier than you, <laughs> right? And the things we could have done like 10 years ago, suddenly you find a bit kind of difficult, right? Back pains, stretches. Right? We can't do those things that we earlier were able to do. Right? The body is getting weaker. The aging process has kicked in very strongly. We had the year 12 students at our home on Friday night. They were having a laugh at our expense, at my expense. They saw a photo of Rose and myself. I mean, I was a handsome bloke. Just, I still think I am. No, it's okay. <laughs> I had hauled my hair. It was looking really spunky. and you know, I did have a lot of hair, friends. It looks all so good. And they were laughing. What's happened, Chris? It's aging. Don't you know that? Our bodies start to ache. We have to go and see the chiropractor, the physio perhaps. It's all starting to crumble. But friends, look at this passage. What this is a we don't have time to unpack it, but let me just say it very quickly. The fact is that we are not immortal. The fact is that we will, we, we, we will die. But the Bible says, one day, the spirit is even going to give life to that mortal, dead body. That corpse. The spirit is going to give life. What does this mean? It means that if we are alive when Jesus comes back, he will immediately receive, we will immediately receive, if you're a Christian, a resurrection body like Christ's body for all eternity. And if we die before Christ returns, our soul goes immediately to be with Jesus. And, when, and then when he comes back, he will take that corpse, that dead body, and our soul will be reunited to the body and he will give it life. And that body will become a resurrection, eternal body. With no arthritis, no pains, no need to go to a doctor anymore. He will give us a new glorious body. Because it's this friends that we have here. 
This is guaranteed because we have the spirit of the same Jesus dwelling in our mortal bodies now. Do you rejoice in that? That's a blessing as well. And then, how cool is that, eh? Because this is guaranteed because we have the spirit of the same Jesus indwelling us. Ephesians 1. And then, verses 12 to 17, the adoption that we see here. Therefore, brothers, verses, uh, have a look at verse 12. And sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Right? We have an obligation. We are his children. We have an obligation not to live for the flesh, but for Christ. We, have a, we, we ought to do this, right? We don't owe anything to our sinful nature. It's the work of God. We are therefore under obligation to God. And why is this? Verses 14 to 17. Right? For, we, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of... Anyone? In your Bibles? The spirit of adoption. Right? As, and so, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. My dear friends... What we see in, this, in these last verses is one of the most heartwarming, let me say this, one of the most heartwarming and precious truths that we can rejoice in tonight. If you forget everything of this sermon, I hope you don't, but if you do, just remember this thing here tonight. The encouragement of God's spirit for us to live this Christian life, to keep going as a Christian in this world, in the midst of every temptation and sin that comes our way, to know that we are adopted as his children. What is adoption? The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way. Adoption is an act of the free grace of God in and for his only son Jesus Christ whereby all those who are the, all those that are justified are received into the number of his children have his name put upon them the spirit of his son given to them are under his fatherly care and therefore have the privileges of sons daughters of God this is the indwelling of the holy spirit John Calvin said this about adoption. This is the greatest privilege of salvation. He said this. The greatest privilege of salvation is adoption. And that we can come out and cry, Abba, Father, dearest dad. What a blessing. That we belong to him. That God has taken you and made you his child. And then in verse 17, and if children, the heirs, heirs of God, and we see that whole text there, verse 17b, have a look at that. Uh, with Christ provided, we suffer with him in, in order that we may also be glorified with him. You know, friends, as a Christian, we might face suffering. You might be humiliated. Uh, you go to uni, and you might, people might look at you, hey, that's a weird person there. Eh? Who is this, Christian? When I became a Christian, uh, I got all kinds of comments on on my campus, all kinds of things. Oh, that's a weird old guy there. This is my friends who I knew very well. Oh, there's the priest coming. <laughs> I was not even in ministry at the time. <laughs> I 
I used to talk about the Bible, which must have been quite stunning for these guys. I used to go and share Christ. My life had changed. But that's nothing in comparison to some of the suffering and humiliation that our brothers and sisters in the Middle East are going through. Yeah? And that same pressure is coming here in Australia in different forms. Is that correct? We may not have the physical torment, but it's happening in other ways. So as we wind, wind up this message tonight, you know, this, and I hope John will touch on this uh, next time in, in the rest of uh, Romans chapter 8. But what we see here is that as we live for him, our identity with him is, it is worth it. Why? Because, why? because it cult- culminates in sharing in his glory. And I must say this, the full nature of this glory remains a mystery. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. And a day will come when God's work in us will be finished. And we will be free from all sin. And we shall be like him. And this is the greatest blessing to look forward to. So friends, as we conclude tonight, how should we live our lives? Should life through the spirit or life by the flesh? What's the motivation to live a life to please God? What is the motivation to live a life of godliness? What is the motivation to live a life of holiness? The motivation must be because we are no longer condemned. We stand as people saved by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Life through the Spirit assures us that we belong to God, that we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, my dearest Father, wherever we are, 24-7. Living life led by the Spirit means, friends, one of life and peace. You know, if you're a Christian here tonight, your life doesn't have to be boring. Right? Let me explain why. Because Jesus said, I've come to give you a boring life. Is that what the text says? I've come to give you an abundant life. You know, life that you live to the fullest. Life that the Spirit of God takes and you live this life by His power and by His glory, for His glory. You live this life to the fullest. We of all people should be able to live life I don't want to say this, but it's like that uh, uh, LG, isn't it? Life's good, you know, the fridges and all that kind of stuff. We are fun, I'm not. The point is, life is good because of the fact that God is good. And so we have a life to live. And this life is of peace, not of chaos. What do you want? Peace or chaos? Life or just cruising? And life through the Spirit ultimately leads to glory. And that glory is to be with Christ for all eternity. Is it worth to live the Christian life? Absolutely. Why? Because of His Spirit indwelling us. May God encourage and bless you. And tonight as we come and celebrate the supper as well, let's be reminded of what He has done for us. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we